Okay, Mark and I have a uh, treat for you. We, um, we decided to invite you into conversation. Mark and I have lots of fun during the week, don't we? We most, do. Most that's of the cool. time. Half of his time, he's at seminary. I don't know how much fun that is. but Oh, that's a lot of fun. Hey, it's fun for me watching you. And uh, so we discuss, we discuss all of the things that we talk about on Sunday morning, we discuss. So we thought it'd be fun to invite you into the conversation with us. I saw Mark, something do, Mark do something at the Iron Hour this week. And I said, let's just do it here. So we did it with the kids, and mm-hmm. I thought, let's take it to the next step. So <laughs> you heard the questions I asked the kiddos, and we've asked the men this week this exact same question. And that is, what is hope? Let's start there. What is it? And we literally want feedback. What is hope? Stand, talk loudly. You can stand if you want, or just speak loudly enough. We can all hear you. How do you define hope? Okay, you want, you want to happen. To happen. Okay. What else? Hope it snows. Okay, we're all in there with yeah. Hope it snows. Interesting. Good. What else? Looking forward. Mm-hmm. Not and one of the children mentioned that a minute ago. Not so much about something that's already happened. Although maybe we should think about that. Part of what we're doing here today, we hope, <laughs> fun, uh, we literally would like for you to be able to walk away from here today with a tweaked or a, a modified understanding of the word hope, because likely the way we regularly use it is not full enough. We're trying to bring more to the table than what we're used to in the vernacular. In yeah. fact, we entitled this a life-changing hope. Life changing. So the question we're going to be asking is, what would it take for your life to change when it comes to hope? Mm. Mm. I had a conversation in between the services where uh, we were talking about the three cardinal issues, faith, hope, and love. I said, is it, is it true that we got the best of that when we were just little kids? Did we get the best faith, the best hope? The best love when we were little children? Hopefully. That's all. This is so fun. This is going to be it great. Is, yeah. the, uh, the idea is for us to mature and to grow in all three of those. It might have been in its most pure form when we were young, but now we're saying, what does it mean to have mature hope? So here, let's take it here from that sense of what is the definition of hope to what's the difference between hope and faith? Undaunting? Faith is fixed? Interesting. That's a word that none of the children used. Undaunting. (laughs) I like that. Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. What else? Faith is what you believe. What's hope is what you want or wish for? Interesting. Okay, hope okay. is an extension of your faith. Hmm, okay. <laughs> Tell me a little more about that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll teach you to speak up, Ben. Well, because <laughs> it's an interesting observation. What Ben said was faith is active, hope is passive. passive. I want to know a little bit more. What do you mean hope is passive, faith is active? Okay. 
So does hope require action? That's what you're asking. Let me ask it a different way. Mm-hmm. Is faith dependent on hope? What do you think? Is our faith dependent on our hope? If you have no hope, are you going to be faithful? Well, just the opposite. Interesting. Just the opposite. Well, we, we will read one passage for sure this morning yeah. that makes that clear. I'll bring Colossians 1 in. Oh, okay. Because Colossians yeah. 1 makes it very clear uh, there's an order. So if, if you're... Faith is dependent on your hope. In other words, if you do not have hope, you won't live out of your faith. Um, Is it really true that hope is uncertain? If it is, then our faith is uncertain as well. Hmm. I think we should jump in. I think we should. Lamentations. We're going to start in a passage that you would all associate with hope. Lamentations 9. Mark's going to read it. Uh, Lamentations 3. (laughs) 3. There's not that many chapters. And here's the backstory to Lamentations. Jeremiah and Lamentations go together. If you've never read them, you should. Um, They're hard books to read, not because they're complex, but because they bring tears to your eyes. Because these are the final books, the last days of Jerusalem. So for several hundred years, God has been warning his people, and they have consistently been rebelling and blaspheming him. The northern kingdom has already disappeared. God has taken them away. The Assyrians came and they're gone. The southern kingdom, which is Jerusalem, uh, around Jerusalem, um, God is warning and warning and warning, and they still are shaking their fist at God. So we are in the final days and moments of the of the Israel's history, its existence as a nation. When you read it, you're going to see all kinds of terrible things about warfare. The, the army, when they, they were besieged as a city, when they would lob those firebombs over and it would hit the limestone, it would explode and kill people. We have mothers who are so hungry, they're now eating their babies. Um, that's how desperate they are in these books. Jeremiah is called a weeping prophet because he had the, the privilege and the sorrow of, of delivering this horrible news to the people that... Um, it's too late. We're not going back. Um, There was time before if you had repented, but no more. You have gone too far. So when Mark reads this, I want you to picture two groups. You have those who are blaspheming God and shaking their fists, and they're just angry. Um, Where is our God? How come he doesn't show up? But then you have the remnant. You have the faithful small group in the midst of this larger nation that are just, they're sorrowful because they are watching the end of their homeland. And think about what these two groups are hearing when when Mark reads this. Right. So also listen for this contrast because a very interesting thing, we're going to propose along this thought line that hope has changed in the understanding of what it meant. Mm -hmm. Through much of the ancient Near Eastern literature, it actually was a 50-50 proposition. It could go good, it could go well, it could be prosperity, or it could be a train wreck. Hope actually had both sides of that coin in it. So listen to the contrast here, Jeremiah or Lamentations 3. So find about the center point of the Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Yeah, that's right, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. The reason why it could go either way 
the faithfulness of God. Is there any uncertainty in God's faithfulness? Paul goes on to say, though we are faithless, he remains faithful. Is there any uncertainty? Trust. There's a profound sense of trust and confidence Mm. in this one true living God. And yet the circumstances don't give him that. Where's the hope? Where does that confidence come from? I mean, strength, the strength and belief that God is good, right? You see, when the, one of the things that's really fun for me is when you read the scriptures and you, you look at them from the perspective of the redeemed and those who aren't redeemed, what you discover is that the redeemed are very intuitively aware of God's presence. They, they see him all the time. If you look back in Jeremiah and Lamentations in the broader context, you see them referring back to the Exodus where he delivered them. God had already shown his faithfulness to them. What was happening to them was not the result of God's faithlessness. It was the result of their faithlessness. So in the midst of this horrible time, they can have, the believers could sit and say, God is a certainty. Our hope is based on certainty. Hmm. When you move into the New Testament, you begin to see the authors actually talk about these things. They begin to add layers on at the beginning of Peter, for instance, 1 Peter 1. He talks about that we have a new and living hope. Rob mentioned that this morning when he was speaking. A living hope. It's dynamic. It's not static. But it's new. Something the world has never seen. Something that never even came to mind. So the hope that we live out, that we talk about, it's not an academic exercise. It's genuine. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision by those who call themselves, quote, the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And they go together. And so what we begin to see when we walk through this incredible book is that hope is based on something outside of ourselves. It's based on someone bigger than us. Hmm. It's based on someone that's reliable. Hmm. That's God. So how can hope be uncertain? Now I recognize that we use that word in our own language, our own vernacular, to talk about things that we dream of and wish for. And there's nothing wrong with that, as long as we don't confuse that with the hope that we have in Christ. Because there is a hope that is assured. It's, it's, it is a certainty. It's a hope that you can rely on. So Paul adds here in Colossians 1, we talked a moment ago, we're, we're discussing, like, what is the order here? Now, is this an automatic order, like this must be established first? No, because what you find out in the three cardinal things of faith, hope, and love is they're woven together like the strands of a rope. They're intrinsic. They, they need each other. One without the other doesn't mean much of anything. 
But look, listen you to how. You can't have one without the other. You, it doesn't even exist. It doesn't even exist. So listen to how he explains this right out of the gate in Colossians 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth in the gospel that has come to you. I mean, think of that. The gospel brought the hope and the hope is the well from which springs faith and love, as Paul puts it here. But it's not the last word on it. Mm -hmm. There's, there's uh, mm -hmm. other passages. What, what does it tell us in, uh, uh, about how hopeless we would be? Because hopelessness, we haven't talked about that yet. You know, that's, yeah, that's, really the, uh, that's really the heart and soul behind understanding true conversion. And that's what baptism is uh, helping us to see that when a person comes to Christ, they have automatically joined the new creation. The new creation that we look forward to one day, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, all that language that we talk about that's in the future. Well, part of it's in the future, but part of it's now. We live in it now. And so Romans 6 talks about, we're going to see this in a couple weeks when we baptize someone. It's a symbolic action to show that they have joined the new creation. You are already part of the hope. You already experience it. That, that doesn't mean that God is going to answer all of your prayers the way you want them answered. The uncertainty is we don't know how God's going to work in your life. The certainty is that he's going to do it with, with righteousness. And he's going to do it in such a way that will move you closer to him. That's where the certainty is. Um, hope is not based on uncertainty, Christian hope. So you're going to have to learn to, in your mind, separate out the two different ways hope is used in our, in, uh, in our language and in our culture. We do hope and desire for good things. And sometimes that's hard in a world that's broken, isn't it? A world where we see greed, a world where we see poverty, a world where, where we see injustice. Mm. We have maybe one of the best justice systems in the world, and yet it still fails us, doesn't it? It does. Something inside of us that is drawing us forward. But don't confuse that with wishful thinking. It's not wishful thinking. Not wishful so thinking. we grab this image yeah. because this picture, most of you would think, you'd probably associate this with the Second World War when uh, moms would put the candles in the window mm -hmm. with a wishful thinking that their <laughs> soldier was coming home. Mm -hmm. Actually, it predates that by centuries. It's from the 12th century, this practice. There was a period of time in Ireland when the Protestants and the Catholics, they're really good at that in Ireland, by the way, fighting each other. And the uh, Protestants... They're pretty good about that in our country. They're pretty good about that pretty much everywhere. We're, we're already going at it. And the, the Protestants had gained enough power and strength that they had driven the Catholic Church underground. And much of the, uh, the worship practice associated with Catholicism is related around the lighting of the candles. So the priests, who were literally, had no churches to gather in anymore, would light the candles and put them in the window as a sign. They couldn't tweet people, like, we're going to have a meeting, right? So they would put the candles in the window as a sign. If you want to come and worship, come and gather and worship. You hear, that's not just wishful thinking. That's a different sense of, there's a call, there's a belief. We're going to get together in community and worship. And they're living it out. 
And uh, some of the people would put the candles in their window to let the priest know this is a safe home. You could come in and rest and eat here. They lived out their hope. Properly placed hope drives you in a certain direction. If your hope is uncertain, then uh, the direction is floundering. So get us to the anchor. Hebrews. Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6. Mm -hmm. Listen to this language. The end of chapter 6. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You hear it? There's no uncertainty in that wording, is there? We have this hope, verse 19, as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Hope, true hope, that that rock-solid belief of our future, that hope takes us into the inner sanctum, the throne room of God. And I would encourage you, when you read your Bible, in fact, I'd like to invite you, if you haven't done it, to join me. I read the Bible every year. Uh, Read your Bible next year. There's resources out on the Welcome Center to help you do that. A reading plan, there's websites that can help you do it. If you have any kind of smart device, uh, you can easily download for free reading plans. Um, And when you read the Bible, picture yourself sitting with God in the throne room, Mm. the control room of the universe, if you will, (laughs) watching from God's perspective what's happening on earth. And you'll find many places in Scripture, that's where you're sitting. You're sitting right there, getting a glimpse of earth from God's perspective. I love how this ties together um, for God. Mm -hmm. The image of God as the Jews had understood him to be a mono, a singular. And it says this is based on two unchangeable things. One is that it's impossible for God to lie. Then he reaches out and grabs the experience of Jesus Christ and brings him in to that experience of God being incapable of lying. And Jesus actually entered into the throne room on our behalf. It's an astounding thing for a theologian in the first century to literally connect Jesus with Yahweh, with the one true living God of the Bible. And those two impossible to change Things, those that will not change. God, it cannot lie, and Jesus has gone into heaven on our behalf. That's what our hope is based on. Pretty good stuff. It's a certainty. <laughs> it's an anchor for the soul. Mm. So when you, um, <clears throat> when you live your life out and you're thinking this week, think in terms of the other hope that is a certainty. What can you be assured of? God's mercies are new every morning. Now, we live in a very good place where we don't experience this type of affliction and suffering they were in the final days of Jerusalem. And so, can you hear the words of hope? Mm. God's mercies are new every day. Every day when you wake up, you can start over again. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, not only grounding our hope in your own character, but actually giving us a hope, Lord that we can rely on, we can trust you. A hope, Lord, that we can believe with confidence and certainty that you love us and you know what's best for us and you will live that out in our lives. Thank you for being faithful even though we are faithless. We pray these things in your son's name because we believe in him, Jesus.
like to invite the ushers